Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Good news. Things were better than we thought they were during COVID. And we have Roy Cooper, my good friend Ray, and Mandy Cohen, who allegedly has it going on. Uh, We have them to thank for it. We had no idea how good it was. And we would not have had the idea that we didn't have an idea of how good it was, but for Ned the Stan Barnett. I call him the Stan because that's what he does. He does this sort of thing for Democrats generally, but uh, specifically Mandy Cohen, uh, the Mandy Stan, uh, and uh, Roy Cooper, my good friend Ray, so the Ray Stan. And a stand for people not in the know, it refers to an Eminem song about a super fan, like a crazy psychotic fan of Eminem's that he that he raps about. And the guy's name is Stan. He writes him all these crazy letters and stuff. And anyway, that's that's Ned Barnett, an associate opinion editor who has somehow been able to maintain his job at the uh, the McClatchy papers, while you know they gut news staff. But whatever. Um, He wants us to know that the numbers show just how right Roy Cooper and Mandy Cohen were on COVID. They were they were so right. And we are just now figuring this out. We we now have the data to support it, he says. All right. So in the spring of 2020, hundreds converged in Raleigh to protest Governor Roy Cooper's emergency stay at home order, or as I call it, the SHEO, the stay home executive order, SHEO. It didn't catch on. I think I missed my window of opportunity on that one, too. But anyway, it shut down a lot of businesses, right? Limited public gatherings. You couldn't go see your dying relatives. You couldn't uh, uh, go out uh, in the parks. Yeah, you couldn't uh, uh, go to funerals of people who died from COVID. Like, none of that was allowed, right? You remember. Cooper said that he understood the frustration. He said, the thing we have to put first and foremost is the public health and safety of North Carolinians. Three years later, the value of that early caution, along with masking and vaccinations, has become dramatically clear. It turns out that the county where those protests unfolded, Wake County, had the lowest per capita rate of COVID deaths among the nation's 88 largest counties. So Wake County came in number one among all of America's largest counties. Mecklenburg came in 16th. Now he is putting this all together with what masking vaccinations and shios the lockdowns and this uh looked at 88 counties that had more than 750,000 people it applies through the end of march because that's when johns hopkins university ended its uh its tracking of covid deaths okay uh, by, by the way i am going to i am going to dissect this dumbassery in a minute um north carolina's rate 2711 deaths per million 2711 deaths per million was the 13th lowest in the nation notably lower than three of its four neighbors tennessee that had like 4300 per million georgia had 4000 per million south carolina 3800 per million virginia was a close second at 27 
73, so basically tied with us. Virginia was. Even at a relatively low rate, North Carolina's 29,000 COVID deaths are a stunning loss of life that could have been reduced further by stronger public health system, uh, earlier Medicaid expansion, and more compliance with preventative measures, particularly masking and vaccinations. Ned the Stan Barnett offers zero evidence of any of that. That's just wild speculation. So I, I would actually say without evidence, Ned Barnett says this. Right? That's how the media liked to frame everything when it was Donald Trump. Without any evidence. You know, he doesn't know this. He's, correlation doesn't equal causation. He's, and this is like a fundamental rhetorical trick. And he's, he's using it. He's chalking up the low COVID death count for, uh, he's chalking that up to all of the things that his, you know, prior biases for Roy Cooper and Mandy Cohen are now supported by his endorsement of their tactics. They What they did worked. See, look at our low number. The numbers should also be seen for the lives that were saved uh, by Cooper putting public health above political popularity and his willingness to follow the advice of doctors, I think he means to say some doctors, uh, and scientists, some scientists, because there were others. There were doctors and scientists, and indeed there were entire countries that did not follow these rules. And you know what? They had better outcomes. Ned is apparently unaware of this. That That's not, like, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he's just ignorant. He is ignorant about these other studies. Because the, the alternative would be that he does know about these other countries and these other places that did things differently and had better outcomes, judged on better metrics. See, Ned, the Stan, he's only looking at Masking policies, and by the way, masking policies, we we now have all of the evidence from all of the studies, the masking didn't, it didn't work. And by the way, that is something that we knew prior to COVID. The medical field, the medical industry, they, the, 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 the experts and the health sciences, they knew that the masks don't stop airborne transmissions, especially at the microparticle level. They knew that. That's why masking was never a part of their response protocols for the public at large. Neither were lockdowns. But but there were some people that wanted lockdowns, and they've been wanting lockdowns for a long time, and so they got their wish to try it out. So now you got a big push inside the uh, health industry for, among people that want lockdowns to be the answer. For various reasons, I'm not going to ascribe motive. The letter... Uh, complained that as head of the, oh, by the way, this is a letter that uh, Ted Budd and Dan Bishop signed on to when Cohen was nominated to be head of the CDC, and they said that uh, Cohen had politicized science, disregarded civil liberties, and spread misinformation about the efficacy and necessity of COVID vaccinations and the necessity of masks. Leaders in other states gave in to pressure to reopen early and downplayed the need for vaccinations, social distancing, and masking. How many lives that cost is unknown, but an examination of COVID death rates suggests that relaxing safeguards took a toll. The numbers are there for history to see. All right, so, Ned. Can I call you Ned? Are those the only numbers to look at when assessing the efficacy of the policy prescriptions that were employed? Are they the only numbers? COVID deaths? Is that all that matters? What's the other side of that ledger, Ned? Are there other... Is there another side of the ledger? Are there other categories of deaths that 
you know, might be of interest when assessing whether or not things, quote unquote, worked, whether the lockdowns worked, whether social distancing worked, whether masks worked. Is it just the COVID deaths per 100,000? Or are there other types of deaths that we might want to account for? You know, there are, because there are categories that are actually uh, uh, created with the compilation of data in order to measure those things. Excess mortality. You want to take a look at that side of the ledger? I do. Oh, I would very much like to take a look at that side of the ledger. Something I've been asking you, people in the media, been asking you guys to do for a very long time. I've been doing it during the entire pandemic and since. But for some reason, a lot of the people who covered the COVID pandemic in North Carolina and allowed uh, my good friend Ray and Mandy Cohen, who's got it going on, to, to rule the roost and issue their proclamations and edicts without, with just not, I don't even say without even minimal pushback in these press conferences, there's been a, a, a lack of curiosity about whether or not these things actually worked. And I say these things, look, if the, more, if the excess mortality data came out and it showed the same thing that, that, these, uh, that the COVID death numbers show, then, hey, you know what? We would have some good advice for how to respond to a future pandemic. But if the things we did were not correct and led to actually more deaths, and we look at the cost side of the ledger, and the costs become too great, well, then we shouldn't do those things again. That's why you've got to do these analyses. So, Ned, the Stan, is very much interested in focusing on the COVID deaths. I'd like to look at a couple other metrics. For example, um, mental health issues, suicides, and, um, and kids. Excess deaths, education. All of these data points matter, among others. Let's head over to the phones and get Kevin on. Hello, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Pete. Your show is great as always, and you have coherent thoughts, which kills them. But here's my <laughs> theory is, if Ned's theory was based on the places where they had protests and the people hated the uh, policies themselves, wouldn't that be also the way the people would be least compliant and that would not follow all those directives or take shots or do all the things that uh, our fearless leader in government wanted us to do? That's a fair point. It, uh, it smacks of logic and reason, um, so obviously we must dismiss that. Um, I would say, though, there is the, there is the idea that um, the protest was done in Raleigh just because it was the state capital. Now, I, I could also say that um, because it's the state capital and because the county houses so many government uh, workers and facilities that when they shut it all down, yeah, everybody went home. So, right, the whole point of the lockdowns was to do what? Was to flatten the curve, right? To, to, to uh, not overwhelm the, uh, the hospitals. So if you can, in a government town, shut down most of the employment, then, yeah, you're going to have lower numbers in that county. That stands to reason, too. It also flattened the economic curve. So that it, Indeed it did. Yeah, and the educational curve. Yep, it, yep. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, it flattened a lot of other curves. But for example, uh, how about this? According to new research, this is from TheMessenger.com, Hannah Murphy writing, according to new research, which has not yet been peer-reviewed, so keep that in mind, the more compliant people were with COVID lockdown restrictions in early 2020, the more likely it is that they continue to suffer from anxiety and depression today. 
more the more compliant you were, the more anxious and depressed you are today. What side of the ledger does that go on? Those people also fall into the more empathetic category of personality studied for the research. For the study, uh, experts at Bangor University in Wales divided 1,700 people into two types of personalities based on their behavior during and um, yeah, based on their behavior and perceptions uh, during uh, the COVID restrictions. And what do they think of them? Participants either had an, an agentic personality, meaning that they were more self-serving, or they had communal personalities who had more concern for others. People with communal personalities were more likely to strictly adhere to COVID restrictions. Follow-up mental health assessments that took place every two weeks from February to May of 2023 revealed that this group was also more likely to have lower overall well-being in comparison to the agentic personalities. Could it be that they're like, I'm doing all of these things. Like there's what the helper personality type and it turns into the martyr personality when it's unhel- when it manifests in an unhealthy way. They be- people begin resenting the fact that I'm doing all of this and no one else is doing it. The findings could be in part due to a lack of effective messaging related to the safe transition back to normal living, though. Right, when you when you scare the hell out of everybody and you get them to restrict themselves in various ways, both physical and mental, and uh, you know, with their housing and their movements. And then you don't tell them, it's okay, come on, open back up, let's do this, come on, and you're not encouraging. But you're always still like just couching as like, oh, you know, just want to make sure, be, be aware. and you, you never let them off the hook. Or how about this? U.S. suicides reached a record high last year. More Americans committed suicide in 22 than in any other year on record, according to the CDC. Up 2.6% from the prior year. 50,000 suicides last year. It is the uh, highest since 1941. Does that go on one of these, one of the sides of the ledger? The increase was largely driven by older Americans. When I see stats about suicides going up, I see uh, stats about and, and research done on people who have uh, mental health issues now and suffering from anxiety and depression in the wake of the COVID lockdowns and such. I, I tend to wonder if this is part of the accounting ledger uh, that Ned the Stan uh, Barnett uh, keeps when he grades... Roy Cooper and Mandy Cohen as doing just a fantastic double thumbs up job on their response to COVID. Let me go to a piece here from New York Magazine. This is excerpted from a book called The Big Fail. What the pandemic revealed about who America protects and who it leaves behind. It's by Joseph Nocera and Bethany McLean. One of the great mysteries, um, and this is like, a I don't know, this is like 12 pages here from Portfolio.com. And it's an excerpt from the book. I I went through it in great detail. I only highlighted the relevant parts here, but it's obviously very in-depth. One of the great mysteries of the pandemic, they write, is why so many countries followed China's example, right? Because China went full lockdown first. And then all these other countries followed China's lead. In the U.S. and the U.K. especially, lockdowns went from being regarded as something that only an authoritarian government would attempt 
to an example of following the science and data, right? This was the mantra of the branch Covidians. You had to have the the clerics, uh, you know, make these incantations so everybody would know, oh, this is the truth. This is the science, the Fauci, as it were. But there was never any science behind lockdowns. Not a single study had ever been undertaken to measure their efficacy in stopping a pandemic. When you got right down to it, lockdowns were little more than a giant experiment. Right? This is one of the things I said at, during all during the pandemic. I was saying, like, we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we are not. When people attacked me, like, why are you getting the, the vaccine? It's experimental. And I said, I agree it's experimental. And I'm offering my body up to science, to Fauci. Right? Right? No, I, I'm doing this because if, if things go wrong with me, then you'll know, hey, don't take this. And if things go wrong with you, then, I, then others will know, hey, probably should have taken the shot, right? The Trump jab. There is no shortage of policy failures of which to take stock. We do an accounting of many of them in the book, The Big Fail. But one that looms as large as any and remains in need of a full reckoning is the public conversation, or in this conversation, is the decision to embrace lockdowns. It's reasonable to think that policy, in all its many forms, across different sectors of society, and every state, right, this was an on-the-fly experiment. But doing so demands that we come to a conclusion about the results. For all, the ki- all kinds of reasons, including the country's political divisions, the complexity of this problem, COVID's human toll, um, all, despite all of that, this hasn't happened. It's been very slow to happen. This conversation, this examination. It's time to be clear, they say, about the fact that lockdowns for any purpose other than keeping hospitals from being overrun in the short term. Okay? That was the original point, right? 15 days, flatten the curve. That was the whole point. That, that was it. So the hospitals wouldn't get overrun. But then they remained in place. Anything beyond that, it was a mistake and should not be repeated While this is not a definitive accounting of how the damage from lockdowns outweighed the benefits, it is at least an attempt to nudge the conversation forward as the U.S. hopefully begins to recenter public health best practices. They go on to talk about how, uh, you know, when China got uh, got hit first, uh, you know, with the the virus that totally didn't escape a lab, uh, who came next? It was Italy, right? The Italian government responded with a lockdown that was almost as tough as China's. And then we had Neil Ferguson. Remember that guy? He saw what happened in Italy, and he saw an opportunity. He was the head of the Infectious Disease Department at the Imperial College London. And the Italian government's decision to follow China's example meant that lockdowns were suddenly a real-world policy option in Western democratic societies, not just in authoritarian countries like China. So, him being a, a disease modeler... He believed the same thing that others in this field, and there was debate about this, that, hey, you know what? If we could lock everybody in a room, the virus would go away. I read this, and I was, this is what I was saying during the pandemic, too. I had no idea that this whole school of thought existed. I would always say this to people like, yes, if you locked everybody in a, in a cell and cut them off from all other human beings, and you did that to everybody at the exact same time for the exact same duration, yes, you could wipe out any infectious disease. Because there's no, commu- there's no um, connection, no contact. But how do you do that? What are the costs associated with that? Is it even possible? 
So, Ferguson, he's an, an epidemiologist renowned for his estimates, derived from computer models. Um, and so he learns of the outbreak in Wuhan, and they start modeling the virus. March 17th, he lays out their findings at the press conference, remember this, where he makes the prediction that 81% of the population in the U.S. and Britain would become infected, uh, more than half a million people in Britain, more than 2 million Americans would die by late 2020, and uh, they said we predict critical care bed capacity would be exceeded uh, as early as the second week in April, and uh, you know ICU critical bed care demand that would be 30 times greater than the maximum supply in both countries, and this freaked everybody out, right? It was to push the American and British governments to commit to lockdowns for the long haul. That was the point, and it worked. Unfortunately, too well for Ferguson, because remember, as soon as uh, Boris uh, Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, uh, he locked down the UK, uh, then we found out shortly after that lockdown that that Niall Ferguson uh, was actually uh, in violation of the lockdowns, uh, got visited twice by his mistress in the immediate days after the lockdown. So, rules for you, not so much for me. Trump made the recommendations, right? The Trump administration made the recommendations. Theirs were only for six weeks. Governors did their own stay-at-home orders, shios, usually stricter than Trump's, like we saw here in North Carolina. But there were a lot of questions that nobody advocating for the lockdowns ever answered. Maybe because in the urgency of the moment, the questions didn't occur to them. I don't think that's the case, by the way. I think they didn't know the answers. They didn't want to be confronted with expressing their ignorance of the answers. Like, I kept asking, where's the off-ramp? How long is this going to last? Even if lockdowns did slow the virus's progression, what happens when they were lifted? Well, when you lift the, the lockdowns, then the virus then continues to spread. Because the whole point was to flatten the curve. It wasn't to eliminate the curve. It was to flatten it. It was so they wouldn't be overwhelmed all at once and then more people die. It was to make it more manageable. Lockdowns went from an unthinkable to an unquestioned tool in the pandemic toolkit. When state public health officials explained to the country's governors why lockdowns were necessary, they talked primarily about bending and flattening the curve. Right? It was about managing the crisis, not ending it. But it seemed like a lot of governors didn't realize that. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out excerpts from the big fail what the pandemic revealed about who america protects and who it leaves behind in attempting to gauge the value of lockdowns the most appropriate way to look not just at covid deaths but at all deaths during the pandemic years that's the most appropriate way to assess what worked and what didn't this is the excess deaths metric it, it measures how many more people died than in the normal year. 
One accounting compiled by The Spectator using data gathered by OECD shows that during the first two years of the pandemic, 2020-2021, the U.S. had 19% more deaths than it normally saw in two years' time. Right? Almost, so 19% more excess deaths. Uh, U.K. saw a 10% increase. What about Sweden? One of the few countries that refused to lock down. 4% excess deaths of 4%. An analysis by Bloomberg found broadly similar results, by the way. In other words, for all the criticism that Sweden got from all the public health officials for refusing to do the lockdowns, it wound up seeing a lower overall death rate during the pandemic than most of its peer nations, which shut down schools and public gatherings. It is not unreasonable to conclude from the data and science that the lockdowns led to more overall deaths in the U.S. than a policy that resembled uh, Sweden's would have. Why? People didn't go to the doctors. They did not go to the hospital. They were told not to, right? They said, leave the beds free. People didn't go for cancer screenings, checkups, all sorts of stuff. And even when things started opening back up, they were afraid of going to the doctor's office or going to the hospital because they didn't want to get COVID if they went. There were other negative consequences, too. Small business closures. Also, exacerbated inequality. You had Amazon warehouse workers and meat packers showing up to crowded workplaces while the Zoom class got to lock down at home and have all of those other people bring us all of our our food and groceries, right? They go on to say, I'm not going to get to all of this. I highly recommend you check it out. It's at Portfolio.com. It had a devastating effect on children whose schools were closed as part of a lockdown. Remote learning was a disaster, even though there was little transmission among kids in school. Well-to-do parents could move their children to private schools. Not so well-to-do parents, not so much. With no classrooms to go to, thousands of students just abandoned school. Underprivileged autistic kids had a complete regression. Um, You had... Kids with speech impediments and needed speech therapy. They could not get the therapies they needed because of all the masks. They couldn't see what their teachers were trying to to teach them. Their therapists were trying to to teach them. The science also weighed heavily in favor of opening schools. And we knew this by mid-2020. Cities were thinking at the time, remember, should we reopen? What do we do? At that point, 146,000 Americans had died Of COVID, with COVID, who knows? Fewer than 20 were children. More school children died from mass shootings in a typical year than died from COVID. Over the entirety of the pandemic, the essential facts about schools never changed. The infection rate for teachers in Sweden, where most schools stayed open, was no higher than the rate for teachers in Finland that had closed their schools. CDC scientists even acknowledged this in the Journal of American Medical Association. So why? Number one, fear. Parents fear that their kids are going to die. Also, teachers fear that the kids are going to get them sick. Second factor, Trump. When Trump said schools have to open, the Democrats and the left and uh, the media, but I repeat myself, they immediately said, oh, well, we have to oppose this then. Right? This is, this is the danger of allowing one man to dictate how you view all issues. And number three, teachers unions, which is really related to, you know, number one, the fear. They, teachers were afraid of dying. Sure, they're afraid of dying of COVID. So they used the, their uh, union to block reopening. So 
Ned Barnett, I wonder, maybe put that into the ledger when making the assessment? All right, uh, Brett Winterbull's up next. Stay tuned. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.